When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on. This is Three Yards Per Carry. I'm your host, Chris Kaufman. I am here with Simon Clancy, but not Alf Artiaga. He is out. He is in Las Vegas, engaging in all kinds of debaucherous acts and um, and and giving us lots of evidence of, uh, of his degeneracy uh, on, uh, on WhatsApp and uh, hopefully betting on the Dolphins, uh, which is probably a, a very poor thing that he could do right now. But we're here. It's Simon and I are here. We, uh, we have a lot to talk about this week. Um, first thing we wanted to get to is there was very uh, tragic news this weekend that former Dolphins head coach Tony Sperano um, who was with the Dolphins from 2008 through, uh, I believe, uh, 2011, or was it uh, was it 13, Simon? I forget. I think it was 13, wasn't it? Yeah, it was thir- 13. Um, he was with the Dolphins for a while as the head coach, uh, one of probably the the better the better leaders and um, and most inspirational head coaches uh, as far as the players concerned. He died over the weekend of a heart attack at the age of 56 years old. So we were very saddened to hear that. Um, and Simon and I were going to talk a little bit about what he meant to this franchise when he was here. You know, we're kind of walk through uh, some of the memories with him. We did get an overwhelming response. Uh, and we saw firsthand an overwhelming response from Miami Dolphins fans on Twitter remembering the things that Tony Sperano gave us, uh, most especially the Wildcat game, the game against the New England Patriots in the 2008 season, uh, which kind of sparked a run that brought us the only AFC East championship that we've known uh, in, you know, quite a while. <laughs> so, um, Isn't it the only, only time in 15 seasons, isn't it, that a team other than the Patriots has won, has won the AFC East, which is... Astonishing in itself, and you know, you know, astonishing given the Patriots' success. But that that turnaround from that one and fifteen team that almost went zero and sixteen, that Greg Camarillo touchdown catch, kind of turned things around. But to to be able to flip the switch the way that he did that season, that, that incredible twenty eleven season, uh, especially with you know quarterback in Chad Pennington who came to the Dolphins late on, and then zero and two, and all of a sudden that kind of team meeting where. Uh, Sperano called the team meeting, said, "You know the offense is trash. What are we going to do?" And 
a lot of ideas were kicked around and David Lee kind of was like, I know, let's go back to how I did it at Arkansas, Darren McFadden, and let's see if we can't get something to, to work. And, you know, kudos to Sperano for, for even thinking that that was an option, especially heading into heading into New England. And it's, you know, it was interesting. Two, lots of interesting things to come out of it. One, um, you know, all the all the players, both former Dolphin players and from around the league, had worked within the Raiders and at the Cowboys and um, uh, the Vikings and things. And, uh, you know, sort of genuine um, condolences and genuine sorrow that, he, that he'd passed. But also the stories of that kind of that week before the New England game that, that started to emerge. And notably the fact that apparently the, the first day that they practised it, the Dolphins were absolutely trashing it. They couldn't run the system. They couldn't do anything. Fumbles. Nobody had a clue what was going on. And Sperano sort of called a, a team meeting and said, look, we need to fix this up. And, and the leadership council went away. The players' leadership council went away and said, look, you know, we need to sort this out. It's almost like, you know, we're feeling like the Patriots are bigger than everybody else is making them out to be. This is something that could potentially work. And apparently... You know, everybody got on the same page, and we all know what happened. One of the great kind of offensive showings in, I suppose, our generation of of, of the NFL, and I don't think I've ever seen before or since, certainly in the Belichick era, a Patriots defense look so flabbergasted, so astounded by by what was by what was happening that day, and you know that 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 season, that ride, you know, the win against the Jets in the last minute where Ronnie. You know, took the ball over from from short yardage. The the mm. touchdown throw that Pennington had w- when he lined up as a receiver, and then they threw back to him and he threw down the field against Houston. And yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's a, it's a sad day. You know, we 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 joked about we joked about Sperano and you know the fist pump and that kind of thing. And he was you know he was a conservative coach, but the players clearly loved him. And it's you know it's a shame. It's a, it's a, it's a sad thing that he passed. You know, so relatively young as well. And I know that, you know, he certainly, you know, he was a weighty guy. He was a big guy. But, you know, I, I know that certainly at times in Miami, he, he lost a significant amount of weight. Um, but, uh, you know, you saw him last season on the sideline and he clearly put that back on. And you'd hate to think that that was the reason why. But, you know, having a heart attack at 55, uh, given the stresses of his job and given, you know, probably some of the weight issues that he, that he had, he, you know, it's just a shame. It's a real shame. It is a real shame. And I think one of the things that stood out to me the most about it, looking at the reaction from the Miami Dolphins fan base, is the fact that, I mean, if, if we think about some of the other coaches here and and how the fans think of them and what you know, the reaction would be in, 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 different, in a different place with a different uh, coach here or there, it strikes me that nobody really thought ill of Tony Sperano uh, in in Miami, and and so yeah, I think the fan base uh, wanted to to move on to a different head coach, largely because they, there was a perception, whether fair or not, that um, that he was too old school and too conservative. And yeah, they they had fun with it. They had fun with the fist pumps and you know the field goals and you know um, sometimes in life you just got to kick field goals. Uh, you know it, they had fun with it and and we did too. But um, but nobody thought poorly of him. 
you know, as a person or as a as a leader or, or what he what he was trying to do. He got he came to Miami in 2008, and I think he shared he either shared or maybe he just barely came in second for coach of the year in that 2008 season when he turned us around from one and fifteen to eleven and five. I think he might have shared it with Mike Smith, uh, who was with the Atlanta did, Falcons yeah. at the time. Um, but you know, that kind of getting that kind of award, you know, showed showed what kind of you know what kind of coach he was what kind of coaching chops and um and it just sticks out at me how how and and i wish that we would we would recognize this this sort of thing a little bit more you know while while these people are still among the living uh how important mm. they they were to um to unfortunately us, but unfortunately we never do do we it, it never no. really works like that unfortunately no it doesn't it doesn't seem to work like that but if you think about it this way the Miami Dolphins fan, you know, the pool of fans out there, a lot of them are going to be younger, you know, people, and they're not going to remember certainly the 70s uh, Miami Dolphins or even much of the Dan Marino, you know, 1980s Miami Dolphins. And and many of them, an increasing number, you know, won't have been through the, the 90s uh, Miami Ooh. Dolphins or, uh, or have – Kind of sparing memories of the Dave Wanstead Miami Dolphins. The for pain a lot of these, they've saved themselves. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, but a lot of for a lot of these Dolphins fans, that New England game, that Wildcat game, is one of, if not the greatest memory they have mm. as Miami Dolphins fans. And I, I don't mean to say that like as sort of like, you know, thinking poorly of it. Uh, how ridiculous it would be that that would be the the fondest memory that everybody has. But I, he gave us, Tony Sperano gave Miami Dolphins fans, a very large portion of Miami Dolphins fans, one of the greatest memories that they have as Miami Dolphins fans. I think perhaps we leave the last word to Kevin Burnett, the the, the linebacker who played for the Dolphins under Sperano, who, who wrote, I, I never had to question if you had my best interests as a player or as a man, and that makes playing the game easy. You knew every member of my family by name and made us feel welcomed in Miami, and that was priceless. I hate that it had to come to you growing wings for me to grasp the lessons you were teaching. Thank you, coach. I love you. And I think he kind of sums up what players, what fans, what other coaches, you know, you see Pat Shermer and um, people like that talking about him. I think that sort of sums up the, the general feelings about you know, a really good coach, an outstanding position coach, but what seems like just a, an even better human being. And in these kind of torrid times that we're living in, that's um, I think that's to be cherished. And I think uh, all of us at, uh, at Three Yards, I know Alf would, would feel the same, would, would pass on our well wishes to, to his wife Jeanette and his children because they're obviously going through a, a, a difficult time. So that's, uh, it's not a great way to start the podcast, but it's, um, you know, we felt like we needed to do it. And he was a, he was a hell of a guy. But that's that's life, right? I mean, uh, you, you yeah, know it is life. So you don't know what's uh, around the corner. So yeah, absolutely, and that was a great way to to say that. But uh, speaking of these torrid times, uh, the next topic we did want to tackle is the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, and not intentionally, certainly not intentionally, but um, and maybe not. You know, according to some, maybe not even by their own fault, got in the ma- the national headlines again this week. They were among the first to have players report to training camp, and they needed to submit 
a, um, a discipline, I guess, a, a discipline plan. Um, and so that that plan uh, got out or that policy got out to the AP, who immediately ran with it and noticed that the Miami Dolphins had placed the national anthem protests under uh, miscon- or misconduct, or misconduct or conduct detrimental to the team, which could carry a four-game, up to a four-game suspension. Um, and so immediately you're seeing all the national news outlets talking about uh, how the Miami Dolphins are going to suspend players for four games if they protest the anthem. Simon, I know that you had strong feelings about this, um, but I, and so I did want to I didn't want to get your thoughts on on you know how this came about, what this means for the Dolphins. Um, are they being a little bit hypocritical by even you know putting it in the punishment policy at all? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, uh, I think I think uh, listeners would know where we stand generally politically, so I don't think it's a, a huge shock to, to to know how we feel, but it feels like a it does just feel like a very, very weird thing for them to do. Uh, and essentially, and I, I tweeted at the time that it was a PR disaster, or, you know, yet another Dolphin PR disaster. You know, that whole kind of idea that you threaten to suspend players for showing an interest in, in, in social justice, yet the team runs its own organization through Steve Ross, Steve Ross's own organization, Rise, Ross Initiative for, for, for Sports, um, I can't think what the final word is. Uh, um, equality, which well, is run by a, a very excellent woman called Jocelyn Benson, who I was lucky enough to, to interview in Atlanta last year in the Atlanta Hawks head office. Um, but the kind of the hypocrisy of of getting players involved in ride-alongs and community projects. You know, Kenny Stills, as we know and we've talked about uh, a lot, heavily involved. Michael Thomas was and. And people like that, and a number of the players have been involved. But you know, on the one hand, to say you know, come and do this, come and do all this social justice work. I have an organisation specifically focused on you know, bettering communities and and enhancing relations between black and white communities and the police and, and black communities. And then on the other hand, you know, do as you're told, bow down to what the, the you know the how dis- divisive the president has been. You know, over this issue, and then you have that clown Jerry Jones come out today and say exactly the same thing: that no Dallas player will be allowed to wait in the locker room, and that nobody will be allowed to kneel, and that everybody mm-hmm. will respect the anthem. And it, it, you know, it, 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 it's kind of lunacy, really. I mean, and, and the whole argument that people say, "Oh, you know, I wouldn't do it in my jobs." Well, your job is is slightly different. You're not a professional football player. You know, you don't have a moral and social responsibility that goes way beyond what you do between nine to five. You know, you're a sports star, um, you know, and this whole kind of stick to sports thing, that that's bullshit as well. I'm, you know, I'm so bored of that argument. Uh, I'm bored of the argument being conflated around an issue to do with, uh, you know, the national anthem, you know, mm. which, you know, if we, if we study the US national anthem, you know, let's have a look at the verses that were taken out and some of the, you know, some of the things that were, you know, some of the lines that are in that. I'm not entirely sure people are 100% aware of some of those things. But, you yeah. know, let's not be hypocritical around that. It, it's not an issue around the flag. It's clearly not an issue around the flag. You know, and it's not. It's certainly not aimed at the military. You know, I spent, uh, uh, as you know, a portion of last year traveling around the U.S. I went coast to coast pretty much. Um you know, Kansas to to interview Travis Kelsey to 
um, to Dallas to interview Nate Boyer to Los Angeles, uh, back across to Baton Rouge, um, mm-hmm. you know, up to Chicago, uh, to Atlanta. Um, you know, Nate you Boyer. Were with, man- uh, you were with you were the Pete Bukowski, weren't you? On, yeah, on yeah, yeah. And the you know, the um, you know, I spent time with Nate Boyer. I went to the Dallas Cowboys facility in in in, in Dallas, and you know, Nate and I chatted a lot previously in setting up the interview on the phone and things and then, and then we did the interview you know this is the man who who specifically asked Colin Kaepernick to kneel you know this was the man who said kneeling is a form of respect this is a white former you know uh, Nate served two maybe three tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan you know as a as a Navy SEAL he is a you know he is white. He is a former. He was a, the the long snapper at the University of Texas, a walk on. Uh, was uh, an undrafted free agent who went to the Seahawks and uh, and long snapped for them uh, in the in preseason. You know, he is as American as uh, he's as American as apple pie. Yeah, mm. He is the man that communicated with Colin about this is the way that you should do it. You know, I don't agree with your protest, but if you're going to do it, then do it in this particular way so i just believe that the dolphins have shot themselves badly in the foot here and you know i think they realized they shot themselves badly in the foot because all of a sudden they were kind of you know whoa wait a minute let's rein back on this and we'll you know let's hold back a little bit and let's maybe we'll reconsider what a goat fuck we've made of this um i just think it's very very unfortunate this issue is not going away it doesn't help the president comes out and tweets and says you know it's back on the agenda you know full well it's going to be back on the agenda through the season I just sure. the dolphins, you know, who live in one of the most, you know, racially um, diverse cities in the United States in terms of the, you know, the people that come from all across the country, from different backgrounds, but also all across the world. You know, look at your look at your community of Haitians, look at your community of Cubans, you know, all these kind of disparate groups coming together and living under one sun, as it were. You know, I, I just think there's just such a I just think the Dolphins just handled this so badly. And you look at some of the people in the in, in the front office and you think, I just don't understand how a guy, you know, a forward-thinking guy like a Tom Garfinkel could be across this. I don't understand how Steve Ross, you know, and I get his, Repub- you know, look, we're talking about a, a white American 70-plus-year-old billionaire. We know which way he leans politically. But nevertheless, I, I just think, I, I don't know who was advising him on this, because it certainly wasn't Garfinkel. I very much doubt it was Jocelyn Benson. And I really don't think he, he, he found the heartbeat of his players. And if and if he had done that, I think he would have been able to you know, make a better judgment. We'll see how it plays out. But it's just a very unfortunate situation, just a, you know, just a PR gaffe for the Dolphins, who once again were in the news and were trending on Twitter for all the wrong reasons. And that's just something you don't want ahead of what looks like it could be an interesting season. I don't, I mean, you know, I've rambled on for 10 minutes, but I don't know what you think, but I, I kind of feel like we, we hold the same sort of water on this. Yeah. I think that the things that stand out to me about it are, you know, I don't, whatever, whatever your, your feelings are, uh, our fans, our listeners, um, out there, whatever their feelings are one way or another, uh, the NFL's position on this and the, um, you know, and, and the Miami Dolphins position on this has, I, I think it's, it's rubbing everybody the wrong way. Uh, it, because, because, you know, the thing that's lo- that looks absent to me is the courage to go forward, you know, before this happened and lay down what your team policy is going to be about these. Cause, cause the NFL's policy 
did not set in place NFL punishment for um, for anthem protests. They put it on the team. So it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like, you know, uh, federal government turning around and saying it's it's up to the states to decide, you know. And so uh, the team had a chance to develop its policy over this and they didn't do it and they punted and uh and then they got into the national headlines because they punted and then you know coming out of it when it became national headlines and the very first reaction uh, that i saw it actually came from the nfl and the nfl pa which was an agreement to put a freeze on all further on all further policies uh, while they continue to negotiate this and try and figure this out, and and only then was it the Dolphins uh, came out and and applauded that that freeze and and you know then they came up a little bit more strongly and I think they've uh, they've since said things that at least strongly imply that they're not going to be suspended and suspending any players for uh, for anthem protests. Um, you know, it it comes across kind of half-assed and and that's mm. it comes like you're trying to play the middle. And I think the NFL has been trying to play the middle the whole time, and they, and, and in so doing, they've really just pissed off both sides, mm-hmm. um, because you know there are people, there are certainly the NFL is is certainly losing traditional viewership ratings. Um, I think uh, non-traditional meeting, media is going up, so it's hard to say how that all comes out in the wash, but there are certainly national trends that uh, that are at play with traditional television period so you know it's not surprising that the nfl would be losing viewership because everybody on tv is losing viewership mm-hmm. however there there are some things that have been uh sort of immune to that trend and the nfl seemed like it, it was always one of those that would be immune to that you know that that the nfl is uh is bulletproof uh in this way because their ratings were always going up their ratings were always you know uh getting better and then all of a sudden they weren't immune, so they started freaking out. And they started freaking out, and I think, you know, realizing that much of their fan base does not like these anthem protests. Um, however, I think what they probably didn't figure out is that that fan base that does not like the anthem protests will continue to dislike the NFL because they know the players want to continue protesting. You know, and, and I, I, I even had I've fallen into the trap many times already calling it an anthem protest. And I realize it is not an anthem protest. It is mm. it is a protest against police brutality. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, we need these you know short names to call it. Um, but I know that many fans I, I talk to the people I work in one of the most conservative environments that you can work in. And uh, and I talk to people about this uh, all the time. And. They're they're pissed off at the players. I mean, they know that the players want to do this. They know that the players are insisting on doing this anyway. Uh, they don't, you know, just because the NFL comes out and says, you know, this is now going to be policy that that we're not going to let the players protest. They're not buying that. They're not buying that. And meanwhile, what you are losing, you're losing people from the other side of the fence who are like, well, I'm just going to go watch the NBA or I'm just going to go watch something else. Um because they don't like the the way that the NFL is treating Colin Kaepernick by blacklisting him. It's very clear that he's being blacklisted, um, and they don't like the you know the policies against the protest or, or against the protests that are going on, the kneeling. Um, so you're you're just getting caught in the middle, and um, and the NFL 
you know, is looking weak again, and the Dolphins are looking weak again on this issue, and uh, and I don't like it. It it seemed like a lack of foresight. You know, you're going to put pen to paper and describe a policy like this, and then act all surprised when it gets out. Um, I know that this was you know more administrative forced on you by the NFL, and, and there's that excuse, but. Uh, but you you had to know that this could get out that as soon as you put it you know pen to paper and describe a policy that says that this is conduct detrimental to the team and could draw a four game suspension that could get out and be headlines and there was no there was no uh, you know advance uh, you know advance thought into that and and instead and even after it got out there was nothing nothing strong coming out until it seemed like after the NFL and the NFL PA had their say. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, the dolphins, the dolphins are saying this and that. And I just think it was a missed opportunity since Steven Ross clearly does care about social justice with the rise program. I mean, mm. not every owner does this. Okay. Um, and, and so he should be applauded for it. Um, but he missed, he missed a chance here. He, he really missed a chance. He did. He dropped the ball, and, uh, and I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to belabor it. I know. That, I know that you don't either. But um, but you know that's that's what I how I see it. Yeah, I think two just two important things to remember just before we sign off is, and you mentioned one of them. Well, in fact, you mentioned both of them. But the first is that that Kaepernick obviously being being blackballed. But you have to look at what's happening with Eric Reed to understand mm-hmm. that this is what's happening in the NFL. This is you know modern sure. day blackballing. You know. Um, yeah. You can say what you like about Kaepernick, but Eric Reed is a very functional NFL safety, you know, who has not been offered a contract because of that's what he has been doing, you know. Uh, and I, I think part two is that you know, worldwide, sporting statistics in terms of television viewership, radio viewership are down, you know, and they're down in pretty much every sport uh, across the board. It's the same over in this country with the Premier League and, uh, you know, in part that's because there's almost too much football and there's a bit of sort of a new or too much soccer. There's a bit of kind of a new way about it. But, you know, people find different ways to watch games these days. You know, it's, it's not just the same as watching it on television. You know, people watch online. People have, you know, versions of Game Pass to watch just their own individual teams. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, that is... That's very important to remember. And also, NFL Red Zone has changed how people view the NFL in the US or around the world. You know, that should be taken into consideration as well. I'm, I'm certain that the anthem, the, the, God, I've fallen into the same trap. I'm certain that the, the, the social justice protests have had an effect on viewership. But there are a, a huge number of other factors, mitigating factors, fairly serious mitigating factors, that are the reasons behind this as well as you know, players coming out and taking a knee for, 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 for good reason, in our opinion, anyway. I agree. There, there's all kinds of mitigating factors about the viewership, but I do think that there is, you know, there is some effect, clearly, from, from this uh, on on the, the viewership. And, and uh, I think what gets, what sometimes gets missed is that, you know, there is, there's actually a loss of viewership happening uh, on both sides here, um, you know, from from people that are just unhappy about the entire situation, um, and you know, getting back to the whole the whole courage thing, I'm sure I, I know that you wouldn't have liked it, and maybe I wouldn't have liked it either. Uh, but you know, a lot of a lot of fans that do care about the anthem um, and and wanting to see the players act a certain way during the anthem, you know, they would applaud the courage of a Jerry Jones. 
to go right out. At least, you know, say what you want about Jerry, but he's coming right out and he's saying it. And he's um, and he's he's making it clear, you know, from the get about the way he feels uh, and and what he what his team's policy is going to be. Uh, whereas the Miami Dolphins are sort of, you know, you know, tr- just trying to hide. Mm. <laughs> and no, and the uh, and and some of the, some of the other teams in the NFL uh, and you know maybe the, even the NFL as a whole uh, are just trying to hide. And um, and that's. That's I think that's that's going to lead to turnoffs on both sides and think, um, and, and already really interesting yeah absolutely I think it's very very interesting to see what teams like the Giants for example do who are very you know the Giants owner is very much a, a, a democratic thinker you know very anti the president and in terms of you know he made a very bold statement last week about you know when the Dolphins came out and, uh, and wet the bed a little bit came out and said they would be <laughs> making no such you know that sort of thing they respect players right to free speech they will be making no such you know guarantees in terms of potential suspension yeah but listen if Brian Tannehill comes out and takes a knee the Dolphins are Ooh. suspending him for four games I mean they're not I mean they're not though are they yeah. if Cameron no, Wake comes not. out and does it they're not suspending him for four games Kenny you Stills know. does it they're not going to suspend yeah. him I mean, you know <laughs> if if Cameron Malvo comes out and does it then yeah he's yeah. probably going to get he's probably going to get canned but let's yeah, be realistic he's... 17 That's comes right. out and does it they're not going to sack him off for four games. So you know it's a hollow, it's a hollow threat anyway. So, yeah. you know, hey ho. Well, we've probably gone on about this uh, that that subject a little a little too long. I, I know that it is an upsetting one for uh, for some of our listeners and um, you know on on either side there. And uh, and I try to respect that. Um, like I said, I I work in an environment that's as conservative as you can get, and so you know these I, I speak with a lot of people. And I respect all you Amish. <laughs> That's right. I'm a I'm a wagon. I'm a wagon. <laughs> yeah, you're a milk delivery driver in an Amish community. <laughs> if we there's do any have Amish little... listeners, I, I, I hope that you weren't offended. <laughs> For those out there who may be of uh, the Amish persuasion, uh, yeah. we are sorry. For, For our friends in the Pennsylvania or... Dutch community, I'm sorry for my. Uh... Simon's poor choice of uh, of jokes. Yeah, but we do have we do have some real news. Uh, real news. Football. Not, fo- you know, football news like it's Miami Christmas Dolphins. Eve. Good, good God. Um, but one quick thing to get out of the way about the Dolphins: they had a transaction this week, or actually, it might have been yesterday. Um, Mike McRae, the linebacker, we we sat here and talked about him mm. probably too much. On this uh, this podcast, the Michigan linebacker uh, who was an undrafted free agent for uh, coming out of the draft this year for the Miami Dolphins, uh, they put him on the reserve retired list. He is retiring. Um, he has made a, a statement about it, uh, and in his place, they signed Frank Ginda. And Frank Ginda is a linebacker um, who will remind you a little bit of Mike Hull in that he's only about six foot zero and two hundred thirty pounds, and you know not the best athlete either. Um, but at San Jose State, he was a you know just a tackle maven. I think he had 170 tackles. Uh, he led in the number of you know what they call a stop, which is a, an offensive failure. Um, he was a he was a guy that you know played instinctively and and knew his way around, particularly the, the run game. And so if you're looking at him and trying to see, you know, what he's going to play, I think he looks a lot like Mike Hull. I don't know if you ever had uh, had experience watching him, Simon. Um, not really. One, one I, of, I saw a lot of McRae, but not so much of him. Yeah. 
Well, one of the things that, you know, when when I watch him play, when I watch Ginda play, uh, and this is an unfortunate thing about him, I know that he can have like 17 tackles in a game, and I can't remember a single one of them. Um, oh, so, I, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's that look to him sometimes. Um, but I don't want to denigrate him because you, you have to be really talented to, to rack up all those tackles. And, um, and he's, I, I think he slips in as the run game guy that Mike McRae probably would have been. Uh, we talked about how he would have been competing to be another one of those big, you know, slobber knocker types that, uh, that Matt Burke has always preferred at the linebacker position, maybe challenging Chase Allen to, uh, to, for a spot on the roster. Um, now Ginda is not big like that. Uh, but he is a run specialist, and so they're gonna. If they need, if they feel the need to have one of those guys, maybe as even just an option, you know, that they can mm. go to from the bench if somebody, somebody's running it down their throat, and they need, they need to stick some, get some help there. Um, then he could be, he could be one to look at. He could, you know, we'll see how he rises through training camp. Um, yeah, but otherwise, fifty. If you're going, he's going to wear fifty-eight. If you're going to, to practice, I know Alf will be at practice, so right. Ginder will wear 58. Uh, I wonder about his shoulder because I think didn't he have a car? Didn't he have sort of a didn't he get T-boned in a in a car accident in sort of April, March, April time, and he had sort of a, his shoulder wasn't in great shape, I, I think. And that's um, right. I wonder how that might affect him, but yeah, interesting and you know good for Mike McRae because you know he made a decision, uh, he made a life decision, didn't he? Rather than a you know. In his in his statement, he was very honest and said, you know, he was a, you know, he was a, he's a family man, and I think um, he's married with children. I think I saw him in the uh, Michigan All or Nothing as well with his wife and his kids and stuff. And you know, I think he talked about his love of you know, cooking and photography and uh, and uh, you know talked uh, talked about his health without really talking about his health, if you know what I mean. Sort of intimate yeah, that yeah. you know perhaps that you know there were some you know talked about sacrificing his happiness and uh, and you know, what feels good to me on the inside as well as what looks good on the outside in terms of, I, I think there's a, you know, he's probably, given the way he played, I think he probably had some concussions there, uh, you know, in his, in his past. And, you know, you can understand the guy potentially just stepping away for, for those reasons. But also, you know, the fact that he, you know, he had a good college career at a really good university and maybe he's accepting of his place in the world and that's not a bad thing. So I think we wish him all the best. Yeah, we wish him all the best. And Steve Ross, I know uh, he he personally had a hand in recruiting him mm. to um, to the Dolphins as an undrafted free agent. So um, I know that uh, he's probably a little bit disappointed, but um, but he made like you said he made a life choice. Uh, and sometimes we forget that these guys these guys do this because you know there is life outside of NFL football. It is even if you are successful, it is all too brief, and so you need to line up what you're doing. Um, outside of NFL, but yeah. you know we have real football to talk about now. Um, ooh, I know ooh. that <laughs> I know that you you saw it and you got excited. Um, I saw it too. I, I got excited. You know the Miami Dolphins social media department again, fantastic. We we praise them all the time. Mm. Um, they had Tannehill mic'd up, uh, or they had Tannehill mic'd up at one point. They also Tannehill also released a uh, very tantalizing workout tape. Also mm. kind of a, you know, indirect, we wonder if that was an indirect answer yeah, to Jarvis Landry. Yeah, fuck you to Jarvis Landry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, but I don't know. What, what stood out to you about it, Simon? 
Oh, just that, you know, that, just how talkative he, the, the kid is, you know, Tammy Hillier's and, you know, everybody talks about he's not a leader, he's not, you know, and I've never believed that. I've never believed that he's not a leader. Um, mm-hmm. But it was clear that he was, it was clear that he is leading the, the field, leading the way. He's the, he is the undisputed kind of king of the, king of the hill, as it were. And, you know, I, it, I, but what I also thought was that, you know, that time back when, <laughs> the glory days of the Joe Philbin era when, uh, <laughs> you know, when they came to London and played Oakland and beat Oakland and there was all that talk in the run up about whether or not Philbin was, he was going to bench him. And then, you know, he wanted Derek Carr instead. And, and then that kind of the times where um, Ryan had apparently sort of tore a strip off the, the practice squad defense and said they weren't up to much and stuff. There was definitely an, an element of, do you know what I mean? That kind of, yeah, yeah. Riling the defense up, and but you know you only have to listen. You only have to look at the social media of some of the players. Bobby McCain is a is a perfect example. There is a you know there's a very good team overall team bond, but there is also an offense versus defense kind of thing. And you know the defense will rag on the offense and and vice versa, and it happens all the time. And you know, but when somebody makes a big play, everybody celebrates. You know, there's the the, the infamous, famous, the Jesse. Key catch that we that they show when they did the, the they voiced up Minka and, and Mike Jasicki where he makes the sort of catch in the end zone the sort of falling away, you know everybody it's not just the offensive guys that are running over to celebrate with him it's the you know the defenders are like well okay hats off that's a great play. So that Gasicki you know, those Gasicki catches by the way like you know I I can throw whatever I want at Twitter as far as you know analysis or you know whether I think I'm being smart about this or that. I post one little four-second video showing Gasicki with a with a one-hander, and uh, and it got like eight thousand views yeah. and you know four hundred retweets and or, or four hundred likes and and whatnot. It was uh, let's let's keep continue to keep Gasicki under wraps though, because I'm sure that's what the team are doing. So, <laughs> yeah. but no, I was yeah. you know it was a it was you know more impressive work from the Dolphin social media team, but you know mm-hmm. just underlined exactly you know, where Tanner Hill is. And and also, you know, I know we're going to talk about Coach Gates a bit later on, but there's a, there's a he clearly did a sort of round table with, with some of the journos in the, the, the press pack today, notably yeah. Armando Salguero. And uh, in it, he talks very interestingly at the very end of the, the piece about how, you know, how excited he is to get Tanner Hill. You know, he talks about some of his, not concerns, just some of the things he's excited about seeing and intrigued, intriguing battles, which we'll get to. But he he talks specifically about uh, about the quarterback, and because he's asked, you know, you're not worried about 17, and he's like, not in any way, shape, or form. You know, we'll yeah. he's going to be great, we're going to be great. But he says pointedly, you know, the last time I've seen him practice now for two years without playing a game, and he is going to be significant. I mean, the quote this is not verbatim, but it's pretty much verbatim. Mm-hmm. He is going to be significantly better than the last time we saw him on a field, which was against Arizona, and you know. That was in the midst of a hellacious playoff run where he was playing the best football of his career. So, if yeah. if he is better than that, you know he's, you know, nudging his way towards the top twelve, ten quarterbacks in the NFL. If Gaze is right, you know, so these are exciting times. And you know, everybody's been writing us off. Everybody's been writing Tannehill off. There was an ESPN piece the other day about Tannehill being like the twenty-eighth best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, which is we all know is hokum, but. Yeah, right. These are these are interesting times. And that video just yeah, he looked good. He was moving really well. Footwork looked good. Arm looked good. And then the workout video, you know, the, the uh, he's on point. He's this kid is ready to play. So it's exciting times. 
two things stand out to me uh, about the the Tannehill videos that that we keep seeing and and what we keep hearing about Ryan Tannehill. Um, uh, and one is the leadership angle uh, because it, it's it certainly is just it jumps off the screen uh, in a lot of these videos and and these interactions and the things that he's saying in practice and um, and I think that I don't I don't I think I'm with you I, I think that the the whole narrative that 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 he's been a poor leader stuff like that in the past is probably probably just uh, a function of us not having the kind of window into practice that we have right now with the Miami Dolphins mm. social media department doing such a fantastic job. But at the same time, I do know that early in the offseason, uh, when Sue was jettisoned and when Jarvis Landry was was uh, jettisoned from the team, uh, he was taken aside and told that, you know, you need to be the leader. This is your team. You need to be mm. the leader of the team. Now, don't don't lead by example, which I think is, you know, I've said before, I think is usually a uh, cop out for people who don't really want to lead. Um, yeah. Don't lead by example. You need to step up and be a leader. Make this your team. You're Peyton Manning now. You know, you're you're one of those guys. This this is your team. And uh, what we're seeing on these videos, what we're seeing in in the social media, and what we're seeing from other players as they keep mentioning his name, is that he's doing it. And it's mm. not. And and mo- and maybe most importantly, it's not coming off awkwardly. Uh, right. It's it's looking it's looking very natural out there and that's um that i think is gratifying and uh and so you know the other thing that that stands out to me about this whole situation is and we were just talking about this i i um i did a uh a a guest spot with uh with one of our uh network affiliates the five reasons uh flagship podcast and we were talking about the quarterback changes that have happened all over the league you know, Josh Rosen getting drafted to Arizona. You got you know Sam Darnold in uh, in New York. You got Josh Allen in Buffalo. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is now going to take over for Alex Smith. Alex Smith goes to Washington. Kirk Cousins over to Minnesota. Um, Case Keenum over to Denver, and and so on and so forth. Sam Bradford is also in Arizona. Uh, all of those changes, and uh, I, how can I forget Baker Mayfield, our favorite. Um, all of those changes, which one is going to be the most impactful, the most legit? And, you know, it, it's sort of like uh, you're forgetting one because Miami Dolphins are going from Jay Cutler and Matt Moore to, to Ryan Tannehill. Uh, that is a quarterback change that is going to have probably the most impact of any of these quarterback changes out there anywhere in the league. And, um, and, and that's that's the reality of what the Dolphins are looking at this season i think it's very encouraging seeing seeing it play out in these videos and these mic'd up but that's not the only mic'd up you know that we're, we're also seeing uh coaches mic'd up we're also seeing mm. coaches coming out in the press and saying that you mentioned it before with uh Gase's sit down with um with Salguero and 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 others and the things that he said um you, there, there's some really there's some interesting moments there I know you brought up one. I'll let you bring it up, but um, but you, but I wanted to I wanted to hear what uh, what you have to th- say about it. Yeah, I mean, the, so there's a a, a mic'd up video of of Gaze who seems rejuvenated in terms of his. You know, he seems such a joker and a you know funny guy. He's always ragging on the defense. He takes that kind of offensive 
you know, the offense beating the defense very seriously, but, you know, he loves to get after it. There's a, there's a scene where, so the video is him, Doyle Loggins and Loggins and, uh, and Matt Burke, uh, and it kind of cuts between the three. And there's a scene at the start where he's with Chris Greer and Tannenbaum and Steve Ross and Tom Garfinkel, where he says, you know, I've got to go now because I'm going to go and talk shit to Bobby McCain and then runs over <laughs> and kind of char- starts doing exactly that. But there's a, again, there's, a, there's just this very interesting moment at the end where Burke and, and Gaze are talking. And Burke says, do you see that Mink got his hands on, got, Mink had two more picks or got his hands on two more balls? Yeah, he said something like two more. Mink had two yeah, more. Yeah, Mink right? had two more. And Gay sort of laughs and shakes his head and then turns around and says, Fun, and again, this isn't verbatim, but says something like, funny how great players, you know, the ball seems to end up in the hands of great players. And you kind of think, oh, okay. They, you know, there's almost a, do you know what I mean? There's the, 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 this team feels really good about their first two picks. Really good. But it was just a very, very interesting sort of, you know, tucked away at the end of this sort of three and a half, four minute piece. Just this little insight into just how well Fitzpatrick has been doing and just how high on Fitzpatrick they patently are. You know, the fact that they, they they were almost laughing as if to say, you know, we can't believe that he was still there at 11. And, you know, everybody's talking about Derwin James is going to be defensive rookie of the year. And, well, mm-hmm. we're pretty confident about this kid because, you know, he's been all over the place and got his hands on pretty much everything. And I, I was looking at Instagram, as is my want, and uh, the, the, some of the players sort of taking the piss out of Fitzpatrick for, you know, being studious. And, you know, there's a, somebody was in the locker room, I think it was, um, I think it was um, one of the rookie defensive backs. Um, and they were, you know, filming Fitzpatrick. He was clearly studying his playbook. <laughs> and they're like Minka's not you know Minka's just too serious he's too and Minka just stays completely focused on what he's doing and you know this is a kid that you know I was talking to some some people last week and they were saying that you know again first one in last one to leave pretty much is or you know it's back to the Alabama days of you know all of a sudden there's a light on in the film room at 10 p.m at night and you know somebody goes to investigate thinking that one of the players has been tardy and not turned it off and Boom, guess who's in there? Yep, it's Fitzpatrick studying tape again. So, um, but it was just a very, very interesting comment again at the end of a very interesting social media video where these the three coaches really, you know, showing some personality and but Gaze, especially, kind of you know, high fiving guys and ragging on guys and making sure that the receivers go out and kick the ass of the, of the DBs on a particular day. And then, you know, it's just this killer little throwaway line at the end I thought was very nice. Yeah, I think that uh, and and that kind of effect. I think where where you have to look for it, and you're not always going to see it if you just just watch that player. But uh, that kind of guy can have an effect on the entire defense. He can make a lot of people around him play better because mm. um, if if you're that studious and you notice things, then you know you're not often you're not always going to be the guy that makes the play because you you identified that. Uh, but somebody is, and I think that we see that, you know, uh, O.J. McDuffie and Seth Levitt do a fantastic podcast on the network here, The Fish Tank, and they had Channing Crowder on for a couple of episodes, and he would describe some stories about how Zach Thomas, and of course Channing is not the only one to describe mm. this, about the, the sort of effect that he had on the defense and how, you know, Zach Thomas goes into a game and tells him hey listen if uh you know if the 
if they uh, if they motion if they motion the tight end across the for- formation, then it's going to be a run this way, and just just shoot your gap, just just go just uh, run like hell through your gap, and um, and you'll make the play. And then you know Channing Crowder first play happens and and he plays it normal, and uh, you know Zach's like, what what happened? Why didn't you do? <laughs> and Channing didn't believe him at first, but um, but then the next time he did, and he makes the tackle for a loss and. And Zach is like, I know, I know what's happening because that offensive coordinator used to be an offensive coordinator like eight years ago, and for this other team that we played, and so I know his entire run scheme, and mm. so uh, you know that that kind of thing happens uh, with players sometimes, and you you forget how much that the coaches can only do so much uh, with these players. It's up to the players to to do the studying and to and to uh, recognize things on the field because they're the ones sitting there on the field seeing um, seeing these things. And when you have a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick that is going to do that extra study and, and just be, you know, that conscientious about it, um, you know, we'll see if it we'll see if it works out that way. I mean, of course, we're, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but uh, but it can really it can really elevate an entire defense. And that's one of the reasons that. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I think Zach, you know, Thomas probably deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, despite some, you know, continued detractors out there, is because he didn't just make he didn't just make all those tackles himself and make all those plays himself. He he elevated an entire defense while he was there, and I think that that's the, you know, that's the uh, enticement of a Minka Fitzpatrick is you're hoping that he can do something like that, and and I think. I think, like you, the the top two picks that they got in this draft between uh, Fitzpatrick and Gasicki are probably going to pan out very well for for Miami this year, and it's going to be um, it's going to be good. But speaking of you know, kind of the intelligence, do you get the feeling that Adam Gase sort of is going off on this this whole "I like my guys" uh, slash I obviously didn't like my guys prior to this year um, a little too much. He's saying it a lot. You're seeing it whenever you see, you know, glimpses on the field and, you know, the mic'd up. He says it repeatedly to the press. And it's sort of like he says it in a way that you know he's leaving something unsaid about the previous teams. And, you know, he seems to he seems to be kind of just throwing this this subtle low key shade at at the teams that he had prior to this year, Uh, you know. Is that real? Is that, or, or is he just? I mean, is he just going balls to the wall with this narrative? Um, because it, it's almost starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I think it's. I, do you know what I think it is? I think it's also a sense of his own responsibility, and in terms of taking responsibility as well and showing leadership. You know, something that it was more difficult for him to show last year because of the the the, the carnage that last year became. And I think at this point he is saying that, look, this is my team. You're either with me or you're, you know, you're against, as it were. You, you've got to be on board. You've got to buy in. You know, the, there was a clip of the receivers a little while ago. The, 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 again, the social media guys did the receivers thing. And Danny Amendola was talking to one of the refs that come and work out with the, you know, ref, the, the Dolphin scrimmages and stuff. And he was going, you know, did you, are you enjoying it down here? And he was like, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good bunch of guys, a really good team. And then in the coaches' clips, Gaze goes over and talks to McCain and says, "I really like this. I really like this team. 
I really like the makeup of this team. And, and, and McCain says, yeah, we've got some real, we've got some real dogs here. Some real kind of, you know, I, I just think he's, he's just taking responsibility for, you know, because all along we've, we've, we've talked about, you know, he inherited players. Every coach inherits players. This is now his team. You know, there mm. are no more excuses for, you know, I don't have the right personnel. I don't have the right corner. I don't have the, you know, you do now. You, you have been integral in making sure that you get the players that you want. And the players that you don't want have been, you have been integral in, in getting rid of, in inverted commas, getting rid of them. Jay Ajayi, Jarvis Landry, and Damakon Sue. You know, they are the three kind of key guys. Mike Pouncey is another one. But, you know, I think that the first three certainly, you know, and we know and we talked and we have talked on this podcast about some of the issues that Ajay and Landry sort of created for, for the Dolphins and notably for Gaze. So this is his team now. There are no more excuses for him. And I like the fact, I know what you mean, but I like the fact that it feels like he is just being responsible for this team, standing up for this team and saying, you know what? Everybody else might not like our chances, but I'm pretty comfortable with where we are. And, I, you know, I kind of dig that about him. I think that's a great point to bring up. It, it is... It does feel a little bit like that when like when you see a player um that starts talking trash before a game or before an upcoming game or something like that or starts um you know saying something saying something that could get otherwise put on the bulletin board and and i know everybody usually regards that as a mistake but there are a lot of players that that think that that sort of thing actually just puts pressure on them to live up to it and you know it's sort of it's sort of them putting themselves out there and and being a leader and saying you know hey hey we are the best you know that sort of thing and and this is what I'm talking about though I'm like it came out in Armando uh, Salguero of the Miami Herald story uh, earlier today Adam Gay said I really enjoyed this spring when you come into a, a meeting when we're watching film and we're on the practice field the guys the way guys are working. They pay attention. They ask questions. Mm. It makes you feel as a coach that when you're putting in your work and then you go down there, there's reciprocation. There's real interest. There's feedback. You feel like you're in it together and you're working together. Now, that looks like shade to me. You know, that, mm. that, looks, like, that looks like him saying, I mean, especially since it, it, it rhymes a bit with what he, uh, what he complained about when he did have a break in his demeanor uh, during one of the, you know, press conferences. It was just before Jay Ajayi was traded, um, and he and he really went after some of his players. Um, you know, not necessarily by name, but uh, it was very uncharacteristic for him. Um, you know, he went after some players, and what he's talking about here really rhymes with that. And I, I think that that's, you know. Uh, on the one hand, it could it could be real. It could be you know, hey, he really does have guys that are that are more um, you know, uh, uh, I guess cerebral about the game and and, mm-hmm. and their interactions with the coaches and and things like that. But it, it could also be exactly as you say. You know, he is he's making it clear. He's you know to, to use a Miami Heat uh, you know um, term here from Eric Spolster. He's burning the boats. Um, you know, this is this is his team. There, there's there's nothing left. Uh, this is this is what he's got to do. So I I do find that interesting. He just seems he just seems more relaxed as well. He just you know whether that will change, you know, during the season. And you know we've both been in the locker room when when he's been there. And 
you know, he's an intense guy, he's a serious guy, but there is a good humour to him. He does have, you know, and you chip away at that exterior. You know, he can obviously he can be serious. He's an NFL head coach. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that, but there is a there is some hinterland there. He's a you know he's a funny guy, and I'm glad that's coming out a bit more. Yeah, and there there was a moment, and I I do want to just briefly touch on it, you know, because I know that it is a little bit of a you know sort of he said she said uh, with Mike Pouncey. Mike Pouncey was on the fish tank with OJ McDuffie and Seth Levitt, and he was talking a bit, he had some really beautiful thoughts about about Tony Sperano to bring us back to the to the first, you know, topic of the day. Um, and, you know, he was talking about what Tony was to him as a coach and, and what he meant to the team. Uh, and, and Mike refused to say anything about Adam Gase, though, but Marquise was clearly unhappy. Marquise was on the show uh, with Mike, and he he complained about Adam Gase in particular um, because Adam Gase, I guess, you know, Mike was trying to call Adam Gase or trying to to call the Dolphins and uh, and Gase wouldn't answer the phone. He wouldn't return any texts. And and then, you know, Pouncey was just cut. You know, he felt rather unceremoniously and so Marquise is, is still holding that and I think that's unfortunate because you know it, it is it doesn't seem very characteristic um, and I know that there's there's some he said she said about this and you know maybe Gase would say you know I, I did circle back with Mike and talk to him here and maybe this was the proper time or or you know he would talk about this happening or this happening or whatever uh, but it is unfortunate that a guy that meant as much to the team over the years and really meant as much to Adam Gase uh, during his time here as Mike Pouncey ended up feeling that way about about his exit. And um, and so it is it is sort of the uh, a little bit of the the whoa, you know, chink in the armor here. But um, but at the same time, you get the feeling that. There was so much going on with that team that Adam Gase didn't like and didn't and clearly didn't like and didn't appreciate um, that maybe you know this you know he's putting himself out there more this year with the players and you know taking taking a little bit more of a um, I don't know what to call it but a, I don't want to say responsible approaches as if he wasn't responsible for everybody before but um, but you know this is everything and this is this is his team he's got his fingers all over it right now yeah and um and so you know it's unfortunate that that ended that way but but this is this is how it is right now we are as we stand here or sit here and for me i lie here we are hours away from the start of training camp by the time you dear listener will be downloading and listening to this players will be arriving at the facility to get underway on day one. It's an exciting time. We hope that our guys sort of stay healthy and stay injury free. Um, and in the last couple of minutes, Mrs. Tannehill has put a, a post up on on Instagram, a picture of Ryan throwing steel their son up into the air in the sea. And she's put, <laughs> "You are you are our rock, our favourite adventurist, our best friend, our wrestle buddy, our handyman, our provider, our protector, our comfort, our favourite. You're going to kill it. We're going to be here cheering you on every step of the way." Hashtag number seven, training camp number seven. Um, it, it, it's number an exciting time. Yeah, no, no it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's an exciting time to get the to get seventeen back, isn't it? It's um, 
you know, because he really is our everything, isn't he, in terms of what he means for this team. And, you know, fingers crossed he can have, he can stay healthy and he can have the season that, that Coach Gay's really, you know, really hopes for him. And it, it, it's interesting, I think, because we've discussed it in the past, I think our two most important players are two guys who have, you know, in really, realistically, two guys who haven't played for 18 months, two years in Raekwon McMillan and, uh, yep. and Ryan Tanner. We're relying on these two guys. And Raekwon also put something on Instagram earlier on a, a, a photograph of um, a photograph Dolphins jersey inside shoulder pads. And uh, let me find it as we're talking. But it's um, it, it was literally uh, it, yeah, it was a post. You sent you sent that to me earlier, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, something uh, something along the lines of let's um, you know, let's do this again, part two, or let's try and. Let's try this again. So with the photograph, Ray Kwan is, is a beast. The, <laughs> he is a beast, and the the, the photograph. Yeah. yeah, I sent you the photograph of him with his. He'd been at Ohio State working out, and I sent you the photograph of him with his top off. And he is a big boy, isn't he? I mean, he's a really big boy. But well, yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about uh, Minka Fitzpatrick and and what he does from a seriousness standpoint and from a study standpoint, and um, and it's interesting because we don't we don't mention. Uh, this, the guy that is, you know, basically his twin in the linebackers unit, and that's Raekwon McMillan, because that, that is everything that we hear anyway, is that Raekwon McMillan is exactly that type too. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, there's there's two guys like that that we know of on the defense, and so yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like you said, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Raekwon McMillan might be the two most important players on the team. Neither of them played last year. Um, and, and so that's, uh, that's what makes the Miami Dolphins interesting this year. Um, before we, before we take us out, uh, we do want to hear from all the guys here on the five reasons, uh, podcast network. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, exciting podcasts. Uh, we have new ones coming out all I the think time. We have 5,952 podcasts. And by the end uh, of the speech, I think we'll be up to 6,003. I think we added uh, we added another one, uh, a Spanish-speaking um, <laughs> uh, ladies golf podcast. So I mean, uh, that is a, it's a cracking podcast. To be fair, yeah. Well, I mean, it's you know we've got to have we've got to have the, uh, the the fans uh, the fans need it. So um, absolutely. But yeah, we want to hear from these guys. Uh, these guys are great. They have uh, they have you covered uh, all of, no matter what you want to listen to. Uh, and we're going to hear from them right now. This is the Five Reason Sports Network. Sports by Miami for Miami on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on The Fish Tank when they interviewed Mike Pouncey. You know, every single day when I came to work, I was the best football player I could be. And I felt like I made guys better around me. And I love the organization. I mean, I, we didn't win as much as we should have. But I love being a Miami Dolphin. I, I love the fact of saying, hey, listen, I'm a Dolphin. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number 5 Reason Sports on Twitter. And don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. Thanks to those guys. And listen, you can download, as I said, download everything from you know we do jest but there is some great um some great content out there as part of the five reasons network and ethan and chris do a, do an outstanding job that is it for us this week for three yards per carry on the eve 
of 2018 training camp. Exciting times. Everybody's healthy. Expectations are high. Let's see what happens. Fingers crossed that you know people stay healthy. Um, Alf will be back next week from um, from Guantanamo. I mean from uh, Las Vegas where he's been <laughs> on holiday. Um, and Chris and I will join him next week. Thanks very much to Chris who stepped in, did the deed in terms of recording stuff and, and being our sort of engineer. So uh, kudos to him as well. Um, we will see you next week. Stay tuned for what? What am I talking about? Stay tuned. Stay tuned for what? Well, this is not a radio network. What a ludicrous thing to say. Thanks for listening. <laughs> see you next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.